Well, welcome to the Who Is God podcast. Uh, I am Thaddeus Funk. My guest is Drew Fawcett. Um, and just looking at the smile on his face, we have no dream forever. I had almost bust up just saying welcome to the podcast. So um, this is the Who Is God podcast. It is uh, my journey to learn more about who God is um, by seeing him show up and work in, in the lives of other people. Um, and so one of those people who uh, has told me that God's shown up and has been very involved in his life is my guest today, Drew. Uh, Drew and I have known each other since we were wee lads. Yeah, very long. <laughs> um, and we've kind of, uh, you know, at some point in time, we went in different directions, but our paths mm-hmm. continue to cross. Um, and they've crossed again a little bit more recently. Yeah. And so got to talking and said, like, hey, you need to come on the podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, I've always loved the format of the podcast. Uh, I, I, we joked a little bit ago about me getting older right. and uh, have hearing aids now. And I stream music and podcasts to them often. And so in the last four years, having had this technological aid on the side of my head has really made it so that podcasts in the actual format has just been something that I've fallen in love with. See, it is not good for me to know those things because uh, I've got a I've got a guy that I work with quite a bit that just got those Bluetooth to his phone. Oh, yeah. Well, he's got an Apple phone mm-hmm. and he's a Mets fan. And so we'll be sitting in a meeting and uh, and I'll just grab his phone and whisper into it, Siri, what's the latest on the Mets? And it'll just start playing <laughs> in his ears. Nobody else knows what's going on. But now he's like totally distracted because, you know, yeah. he can't. I have yet to try to do like slyly listen to a podcast while I'm in, in you know, a meeting or something. Uh-huh. But the thought has crossed, crossed my mind. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, maybe that's why we need Jesus. <laughs> right. When you're, in a, when you're in an hour-long meeting that could have been an email, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've been responsible for some of those meetings. <laughs> so, uh, Drew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am, as you said, we knew each other from from our whole lives. We were chosen to be friends, whether we wanted to be or not. Our our moms were and still are thick as thieves. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a small town in South Dakota where, uh, to be frank, I didn't really fit. Right. Um, You know, I grew up, I did all the sports things that you do when you're in a small town, but I also did everything else. I did theater and music and was involved in my church youth group. Uh, you know, I, I kind of inherited my parents' faith because I wasn't a preacher's kid, but I wasn't far off, to be sure. real honest. Right. Uh, when you're in a small small church in a small town and you're in between pastors and your dad is a guy who can articulate his thoughts, uh, oftentimes he becomes the guy that gets to preach in between. And I, and I hear he's doing that yeah, quite a bit more now. Yeah, he's doing it again right? now, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I grew up in that small town and in that atmosphere, and I didn't really fit because... I didn't, I didn't make friends well. And I used to say that the people in my town were mean to me. But the truth is, uh, as I've grown, I've learned that maybe I wasn't any good at it either. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, right. And so I've, I've been able to kind of write some of those moments of my past in, into a little bit less of the important place of my story because what I found was is that not having great friendships young has taught me how to invest in people as an adult. Wow. Um, it's this, been a been a big part of, of who I have become as a man, really. Right. This is the examined life. Right. You're talking about going back and looking, mm-hmm. okay, where was I and what have I learned and how can I grow? Um, and that is a huge part. I think was it um, 
I'm terrible with names. Uh, <laughs> Greek writer, um, uh, one of the one of the Augustus, or mm-hmm. wrote wrote basically his his own diary. And one of the things he talked about was a, learning to examine his life. And I think he's the one that originally is uh, uh, coined with the idea that uh, the unexamined life isn't worth living. Right, and I I think that's why when you brought this idea to me to come on the podcast that it was so intriguing to me because the older I get, and I I realize I've said that twice now, um, (laughs) the the more I look at the experiences I've had and I'm able to take a look and understand what God has been doing in my life throughout. You know, uh, in my childhood of not having great friends, I became just overwhelmingly in love with the guitar. Mm-hmm. And that has become a significant portion of my entire life now. Um, I also was allowed because my dad worked it, you know, in it for the phone company, the cable company, uh, to be around technology a lot. And that made me very, uh, you know, interested in it. And it's become my career, you know, sure. to, to be in technology now for 25 years. Um, all of those things that were just a part of my life that I didn't know would be then later become the real thing because I was going to do essentially this. I was going to be in radio when I got out of high school. That was the thing I wanted. Um, but it, it didn't work out that way. Um, you know, circumstance happened and I fell into a job in technology and now 25 years later, I'm still in tech. Um, and it's, it's been a, a great part of my life. It's, it's afforded me the ability to have the life I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the great part of it has been, I watched these different moments of my life become something important that I didn't have any part in planning. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? When we're in it, we don't see it. Right. And it's not until we can get out of it either by learning to step out of the situation in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and recognize the moment or we get a separation of, of space moving, a, moving to a new town mm-hmm. or we get time, you know, yeah. But it is then when we start to get a bigger, uh, a bigger perspective. A lot of people like to, uh, will hear me say, if you think you understand something, zoom out. Mm-hmm. And you'll realize your perspective is, is maybe not everything you thought it was. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. As I've become a parent to young adults, that's been a, a thing I've had to say to both of my sons. Uh, to be like, hey, is, I, I realize you are super close to this thing. And it might be what feels like earth shattering, but what happens if you allow yourself some space? Right. Can you see it for more than the thing that you're afraid that it might be? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I totally hear you. So I just want to, and this isn't my story, it's your story, but I know there's some similarities, but to mm-hmm. hear you talk about like, imagine this isn't maybe the thing you think it is. Right. Walking through the dissolution, the tearing apart, really, it was almost like a, like a bomb went off. My family dissipated. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea. I thought it was the end of the world. Um, it was one of the darkest moments I've ever had in my life. And I've spent a lot of time in dark moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back now, God used that to, I think at one point in time, I talked about, um, you know, looking at the black abyss of tomorrow um, is oftentimes frightening for people. But if you step back and realize it's an empty canvas, and I get to paint on that canvas whatever I want. Yeah. Like, I, I I would oftentimes refer to it as my life got etch-a-sketched. Mm-hmm. You know, the old etch-a-sketch, you draw your life on it for 42 and a half years, and then all of a sudden shake it, mm-hmm. and you start from scratch. Yeah. 
But it was that empty canvas that and that perspective that allowed me to go, okay, what can I learn from what I've been through? Mm-hmm. And how can I apply it today? And it really what I'm doing and everything I'm involved in, this podcast wouldn't have happened had I not gone through those dark valleys. Oh, for sure. You know, you talk about the the blank canvas. I do see it. I've seen it again and again in my life. You know, I talked a little bit about not really being able to make friends as a child and um, struggling through that. I, I did become a little bit of a chameleon and I would try to fit in wherever I went. Um, and while I could look at that and go, well, that was actually bad for me because it, it made me uh, not necessarily be true to me, but at times it taught me how to understand other people, mm. you know, and I wasn't seeing what was being painted. Right. Um, but then I get to college and I find that I'm in a place that I was around people that were like me. You know, I, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really even want to go to college necessarily. I knew I had to, um, because I, didn't want to dig ditches or work on the family farm, which is funny because now I go back and help on the farm every year. <laughs> right. Uh, full circle, right? Right. Um, but I get to college and I, I kind of followed my sister to Christian college at Nebraska Christian college in 1997. She had been there for um, two years and I did it because it was easy. It was a little bit of a bigger town. You know, Norfolk was, I don't know, 20,000 people at the time. And what I found was I can make friends here because these people are like me. Mm. And again, it was a blank slate and I got to be, I wasn't the kid who was a baseball player or a basketball player, football, or the weird kid that did theater and choir and played guitar. I was just drew, right. You know, and we kind of talked about it a little bit before too. Like I got to kind of make my own identity and not be Andy from Highmore anymore. I got to be drew myself, you know? Right. Um, I see it again and again. I then get out into the work world and I'm working basically for people that I went to college with in Norfolk and I had the opportunity to take a job at Central Community College in Grand Island and I move and again, it's this blank slate. Um, mm. but, but we have these moments, the, the whiteboard clearing moments of our lives and you know, you're talking about how some of our uh, situations are similar. I met my first wife, um, first week, first day of Christian college orientation. Mm. Um, and I was in deep smit from day one. I was smitten. I was, I thought she was the greatest thing that had ever been. Um, and she didn't want anything to do with me. And it took over a year for her to want something to do with me. And, you know, when you meet someone who you feel is, uh, going to be that person for you and you meet them in a safe place that is ministry college, right? We were right. both there for what we thought were the same reasons. And, and I think they were, um, to then fast forward the better part of a decade and none of our life experiences and our desires and wants look anything like each other's. Right. Um, and you know, I was, I was embarrassed by it. I was hurt by the fact that we had gotten to a place where there was no coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, I had grown up in the church. Like I had, like I said, I kind of had a borrowed faith from my parents and I was in my late twenties, not understanding that, um, really what, what God could do with me if my marriage ended. Right. Um, 
And I didn't talk to my parents. I didn't talk to my friends about it. Like the day that we split was a shock to people. Like I called my parents uh, who, I mean, they live five hours away. And I said, look, uh, I'm getting a divorce and, um, there's not any changing it. There's not any fixing it. Cause we've been trying for years. Um, and I was pretty much convinced at that point that the whole of my life was done, that right. it was used up and over. I had, you know, worked in a church as a volunteer. I had led, you know, led worship at a church of several hundred people. I felt like I had kind of worked myself into a place where God was doing things with my life. And now it was all over. And that was your identity. I, mm, I, want, I want to take yeah. a moment and sit in that. That was who you were. Mm-hmm. Everything you were involved, being used by God in oh, that ministry, sure. was was very much who Drew was, yep. who you've now crafted over how many years? Yeah, at that point I'd been, I mean, it was for sure 12 to 14 years where I had gone from, you know, just being a college freshman playing in bands and not really knowing what I was going to do with it to learning how to lead people in corporate worship, um, you know, and challenging and growing both myself and the congregation. I felt like that was a big part. Yeah. It was a significant part of who I was. Was it what I was doing for a living? Absolutely not. Right. But was it the ministry that God had called me to? Absolutely. And so you, I'm assuming we're staring at this fear that all that's gone. Yep. And your identity is gone. With, not just mm-hmm. not just who not just everything you've been doing the last 14 years. Not right. just the fruit of your labor, but but who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dies. I, it, it, it a death was right because I did go immediately into mourning. Um I went to the church staff who have been remarkable. Um they were I'll talk about that more later. But, yeah. Yeah. But I went to the church staff and I said, "Hey, I need a break. I need you to know what's happening in my life." I need to step down. Um, I'm going to figure out what's going on in my life, and and maybe I'll be back. What what were you feeling in that moment? Utter destruction. Like I had failed as a man. I had failed as a Christian. I'd failed as a father. I had a uh, well. I'm trying to think of the math here. I had a seven year old and a three year old. And at that point in time, I was like. I have lit, literally every measure of a man I had failed at, and I wasn't even 30 yet, right? Right. Uh, I was quitting. I wasn't taking a break. And I've had this conversation since with the the staff at, our, at my church at Third City, and it was a case of, I'm done. I I don't even know if I can be in this building anymore. I'm not sure God can... Heal what's broken. Um, what did that for for the listener that's that's maybe there, mm-hmm. and maybe this is going on, and their brain's swirling, and they don't know what's going on. Describe that moment. What what thoughts were going through your head? So I had grown up in the eighties and nineties in the essentially evangelical church in America. Right, I was in a mm-hmm. Christian church, non denominational, uh, and I had just. Essentially, well, I had gone to a, a ministry college where over again and again, marriage was this thing that couldn't end. It right. wouldn't end. And I was in one that would not continue. Like right. there was no coming back. There was no resolution. Um, and I didn't like, 
I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to know who I was, even if I looked at myself in the mirror. Mm. Um, my parents was that was that frightening? Oh, it was very frightening. Um, and I, as I look back on it now, I have much more perspective than I did then because it's now been a series of years. It's been thirteen, almost fourteen years, um, and I saw at the time I saw no way forward. Um, okay, God, I'm sorry. I have committed the series of sins of not, you know, of not being able to maintain a marriage. With not doing whatever it took right. to be a right. good husband right. that kept mm -hmm. a wife. Regardless of the scenario, regardless of the situation, it doesn't, you know, the details of their, of the, to the listener, the details of their story will be different than mine, but ultimately it will look the same. Yeah. And I think as men in the church specifically, uh, we have this series of pressures that get built up when you are in a situation where you're supposed to be the head of the household. You're supposed to be the one that guides and leads and you're, and you're responsible for the faith of your family. Right. Um, and here I was a, a week in week out volunteer minister at the church. Um, a doing, leader, a leader doing work, respected, mm -hmm. had looked up to, and it was all lies at that point is what it felt like to me, even though that wasn't true. Like the, the sins of our life, the things that we get stuck in, they don't, they don't define us, but we allow them to, we allow to ourselves to believe that they do. Yeah. And we put that on Oh yeah. like, like that's part of our mask, mm -hmm. it's part of our identity because that's yep. who we show. That's what we think people see. Mm -hmm. And my vision of myself at that point was as if I had created all of this as a ruse. It was as if I had been play acting the whole time, even though it wasn't true. Those were the things I believed about myself. And I took on a lot of hats in the post-divorce days. Mm -hmm. And I, I was going to be the, the single greatest divorce dad ever. I was right. going to make sure that... There was room in, in my, in the boys' lives for me and their mom, and it was going to be separate, but the same. Nothing was going to change, right. but everything was going to change, right? <laughs> Naivety, right? Right. Um, and I had this feeling that somehow it didn't matter what the situation was, that I was going to, I was going to do it. I was going to white knuckle right. this existence into this perfect co-parenting existence, Right. Right. And that I was going to somehow be able to steer the ship when I didn't even know where the rudder was. So you're, you were taking abject failure, mm -hmm. um, embarrassment, um, feeling like you had betrayed others mm -hmm. when, but also at the moment feeling betrayed. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I want to step back into this. What did you, f what were your thoughts? Like, were you all, not only just, I failed you, God, but God, you're failing me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I had my turn at, at all of the emotions of grief. And anger didn't last as long as maybe some of the others did. Right. But I found myself in several spaces just screaming in God's ear, it, wondering if he was even there. Um, 
and I, and I just couldn't find him listening to me when I had never stopped praying for my marriage, mm-hmm. doing what I thought was right. I, I just had this, it, it, how, how does this happen? Right. I, I, we did all the things right. I did all of the things right. I, I met my spouse in, in a faith community. We were in church week in and week out. How does it fall apart? Right. I, I, I earned, <laughs> I earned a good marriage because I right. did everything right. right. And, and it's funny how we think this Why recipe. Why are you taking that away from me? Right. We think this recipe is something that we can put together in this bowl of our life and stir it up and have it still come out like it's supposed to. And what I'm finding is, is that in a broken world, we are all broken people. Mm. And brokenness tends toward disorder. Right. You know, and yeah, there are a million things that could have happened that didn't. And so when I started to to really get into those depths, I tried all kinds of things as a way to 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 heal, right? Um I tried to fill it with more music because I tend to be a music person. So I was playing guitar five, six days a week at home. I also thought about putting the guitars away forever because God wasn't going to be able to use me again. I was not going to be that guy. What point did I have? Right. Um, I, I tried being, I, I never left the church. I was in church every Sunday. I'd drag the boys, put them in the Sunday school program, whether they wanted to go or not. Right. Um, and I hid from my community a lot because I didn't want to still, even though I should have learned from the, from the falling apart of my marriage that maybe crying out for community is also crying out for God, crying out to your community is crying out to God. But you couldn't. Right. I, I, I wasn't allowed in my head. Right. Um, and because, because you were poison. Right. Oh yeah. I, that's what I had convinced myself. And how could you mm-hmm. involve someone else in what was going on in your right. life? Because if you did, you might poison them. Right. Yeah. And well, then yeah. that would be more guilt on your conscience. Right. And so the, the funny part is, um, the people who helped pull me through that, some of those people were the ones that showed up anyway. Um, a man to who, a man to who I owe so much. Um, and I would consider, like you have those friends that if you were to be, you know, marooned on an island together, you know you'd be all right. Right. Um, my friend Rod, like he showed up. Hmm. He showed up in big ways and small ways. Um, some some dear friends of mine who they're actually friends of my sisters uh, that happened to be friends from the Christian college who lived in Grand Island started picking up my kids from school, uh, doing things for for both me and my ex wife. Just being there to be a continual, consistent person. Hmm. Um, those people showed up, and it was the people of God that showed up in my right. life. Right. You know, uh, the youth pastor at our church showed up outside my door many times before he ever came in, stood in the yard, and prayed for me. Wow. Didn't, didn't want to interact with me because he wanted me. First, he didn't want me to know he was there. He just wanted to pray for me. Right. But then when he started putting himself inside my house, it was a matter of, I just need you to know that you're not as broken as you think you are. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, those emotions, I, I, I say that I tried kind of everything I did. There was more than, there was one occasion specifically where I decided that 
um, maybe that alcohol might actually be the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not a drinker. I mean, I do, uh, I, I love craft beer, but I am not a person that drinks a lot. I'll have one here and there. Yeah. Um, and I decided I was going to drink a whole bottle of, of Captain Morgan by myself one night at home when my kids were at their mom's house. Hmm. Um, and I found myself passed out on the floor uh, in the hallway of my apart of my house. Um, actually, uh, got up the next morning cause my ex was bringing the kids to church and I needed to pick them up from there. And, um, that was one of the first moments where I realized that that's, I mean, it's not going to work. Right. Cause the next morning I am just absolutely destroyed and I'm sitting in the back of the church listening to the pastor preach on Paul. Hmm. And I remember it vividly because it's as if I couldn't make it up. Uh, pastors preaching on Paul and how in his life change in order to be who he was before as Saul, right? Right. He had to be a man of one wife. He had to be a man in good standing in the synagogue. Right. And then he spends the rest of his converted life preaching on being single. What happened? Right. Like something happened. She died. She left. She couldn't handle his conversion. Right. And left. He couldn't handle the fact that she didn't come along. Right. Like something is in that story of Paul. And that's the sermon the day that I decided, the day after I decided to try to drink myself into a hole in the ground and never did it again. Because, that idea go ahead. that if that if it worked for Saul, it right. can maybe work for me. That that God wasn't done because you think you're the worst that you might ever be, or that the brokenness has poured over you. Um that's that's where I see God. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing God in that. And that's when, you know, and that was months and months after all of this. That was, you know, long after. So was this really the point? Because you've said a couple of times that mm-hmm. you kind of borrowed your parents' faith yeah. growing up. Is this really the point where now it's becoming yours? Oh, yeah. The rubber hit the road um, uh, with divorce papers in my hand. Um, but really, me owning my own faith happened when I started to see God show up again and again after because I had seen God in my life before and I thought I knew what my faith was and what it looked like. I had seen God show up in moments where, you know, he would bless something that I was working on. Mm. Um, I saw God speak to me when I was a kid who was a confused human about what, what it looked like to really exist in Christendom in America Sure. And I fall in love with a songwriter by the name of Rich Mullins who spoke to my heart and still does. Yeah. And I see God speaking to me through people from Lincoln here actually that then moved to Highmore because of a job situation and then wanted to volunteer as youth leaders in the church. And they taught me, Rod and Val Vaughn taught me how to be a normal person in the community, not a, not a vocational minister, but to do ministry work as just a lay person, right? Just a normal person. Um, I saw God in all of those ways. Right. But Mm -hmm. I thought that that was all in the past. Sure. And so to start seeing God show up again. So there was this lie Mm -hmm. that because of this, 
Now, I don't qualify to be used by God. Correct. I don't qualify to have God in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't qualify. If anything, maybe I can yell at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people, uh, and maybe a few listeners, who think it's bad to yell at God. What, what would yeah. you say to them? Oh, man, I think he's got big enough shoulders. <laughs> um, you know, I find myself, there's a song that just came out recently by Corey Asbury, who's the guy that wrote Reckless Love, right? Um, and it's called Kind. And in the in the the very opening of the song, it it says sometimes marriages don't work and sometimes babies die. Hmm. Um, sometimes rehab turns to relapse, and you're left just asking why. And for all the prayers I've prayed, I still wonder if he's real. And if he is, how is he choosing who he does and doesn't heal? Hmm. And it, this whole thing it comes around to, but all he's ever been in response is kind hmm. like God's big enough. If he, if we think that somehow we're the most horrible, most troubled, most damaged, most broken, he can point you at other stories where, you know what? This person was here and I led them there back to being in use for me again. Right. And those, those moments of hearing that sermon on Paul and having a lunch with one of my dear friends who's a worship pastor at the church. And uh, the senior pastor was there too. And and they go, you know, you're the, you're the only one keeping you from service, right? Because if we kick out everybody that has sin in their life or has had sin in their life, we might as well just close the doors right now. Right. Like there's, we're not going to have anybody to serve. We're not going to have anybody to, to – we just might as well quit. And at that point in time, I was like, I still don't know if I'm ready. But then I keep having more and more people show up in my life and pouring in. My parents, they were, I was afraid of my parents. Um, not because they're mean people. They're lovely, wonderful people. My mom taught Sunday school forever, and we've already talked about my dad. Right. Um, but disappointing them was, was real hard for me. And I thought yeah. that that was going to break our relationship. But truly seeing the backside of it, those relationships and actually all of them, the relationships that I have with people, the people of God, with the Jesus followers that are in my world, all of them are stronger now. Hmm. And God has so, taken that to, to, to repair it. He has restored it, you know? So I think I just want to make sure the listener just caught what you just said was that first of all, I want to rewind a little bit, the moment where you said, when you think God can't use you and you're, and he's done with you, mm-hmm. he shows you this person that's further away mm-hmm. and brings them back. Mm-hmm. Restoration. Were, yeah. They were further mm-hmm. away and he brought them back. Yeah. The other thing, and maybe just pause for a moment, let the listener sink mm-hmm. on that. The other thing that you just said is that your relationships with key people in your life are now deeper and more meaningful. Oh, yeah. Because you've gone through the darkness, Mm -hmm. through the tragedy, through the pain, Mm -hmm. through the heartache. Did you at the same time have to go deeper into yourself? 
mm-hmm. understanding yourself, learn yourself, know yourself better. That's and that has yes, absolutely, and that has become a continual journey for me since mm-hmm. this time. You know, it's been like I said, it's been a decade or more now, um, really, since I have started to see that. And my thirties, especially my mid to late thirties, really became about who is God to you. What does God do in your life and how do you see him and what is your response to that? And so I have gone deeper. I have, I've had to inspect so many things in my life. Um, as I was kind of wrapping my thoughts around how I would tell my story, um, I kept coming back to the fact that things that we assume or attributes that we may, um, apply to God if they're, if they actually are the attributes of God. Right. Right. And so I've had to look at those parts of my life over and over again and see like, is God the God of forgiveness that he says he is? If he can forgive Saul and the criminal on the cross, mm-hmm. like he's got to have room for me. Right. Cause I didn't kill anybody. Right. You know, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, we could talk about parenting young adults later. Um, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but um, there's always this space for growth because his grace is sufficient for me. Yeah. And I've had to really sit in grace and understand it. Mm. And I feel like some of this comes from our Midwestern upbringing that even though I know I can't earn grace, I'm still trying to. Yeah. I still thought that earning grace was, yeah. was something I had to do. Yeah. Today. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I still, I still feel like, um, like Isaac, like, no, se- send the goats first, then, then send the, send the, send all the cattle, you know, now send the sheep, mm-hmm. you know, and, and these are all gifts. Mm-hmm. And, and if I send enough gifts, then maybe I'll soften your heart and you won't annihilate me when I get right. there. Yeah. And I still think that sometimes I'm just the the prodigal son coming up with theories in his head of what he's going to tell his dad that makes it okay for him to just exist right. in his world. Right. And the whole time the dad's just like, would you just shut up and let me pour over you? Because yeah. you were dead to me and now you're not. Right. You were gone. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so here you are. Starting to realize that as people are pouring back into you, the false realities of who you thought you were, Mm -hmm. the false realities of who you thought maybe God was, are starting to get kind of, they're blown away in the wind, they're getting washed away, pick a metaphor, Mm -hmm. but they're starting to dissolve and you're starting to see more clearly. What, What precipitated that? I think just a continued willingness to be used to allow mm-hmm. God in and to let him lead and then to say, where's next? Now, a moment ago, you said you were going to earn it all back. Mm-hmm. You were going to do it all. Yeah, yeah. Now you're saying a willingness to let him lead. Because what I learned in the earning is that I can just keep plowing my face into the wall over and over again. But when I stopped long enough to listen. How did you, how, what brought you to a stopping point? Cause, it, cause I know you're, you're probably like me. Mm-hmm. I don't stop. Something has to stop me. Yeah. I really do feel like it was a combination of failures in attempts to 
uh, make the thing that had happened to me not really exist to mm-hmm. make the, the series of, of events that led to this brokenness, um, not really have mattered. And I had to own that. I wasn't going to be, I couldn't be my ex-wife's dear friend. Yeah. We could not exist in this space of unity mm-hmm. because we weren't right. And there were moments where some circumstances between us and, um, in people around me that I started to see like, this isn't normal. And, and I needed to take a serious look at how I was proceeding to, to have my own life, to, to allow that the grace that God had for me was for me, but not to exist in this failure. And an acceptance mm-hmm. as you were that you're, you've got a different identity now. Yeah, absolutely. You're not a husband. Not you're divorced. A, yeah. mm-hmm. This, you have a new title, mm-hmm. a new role, mm-hmm. an ex husband. Mm-hmm. You, you no longer have a wife. You have an ex wife. Mm-hmm. You, you're not married. Now you're divorced. Yeah. And I'm a part-time dad. That was the hardest part for me. Ouch. Um, Ouch. because I, you, you you, as a dad, you don't see yourself. Those, those children come into this world and they change everything, right? Yeah. And the, some of the greatest joys in my life to this day are still the, the days I got to bring those boys home and it felt tarnished. And so really it was, there wasn't one specific switch that flipped that turned it. It was God showing up in little ways. Mm. The men in my life pouring into me, the church pouring into me saying, Hey, you're still useful. Um, what, what was that like? Because I think we've got some listeners who don't identify with what you went through, mm-hmm. but they know someone that has, and, and they're curious, how do we pour in? I, I know one of the things that I struggled with is a lot of my close friends. I didn't hear from mm-hmm. not a phone call, not, I mean, for years we didn't connect. And prior to that, we'd been we talk every day or every other day or, you know, our paths were crossing all the time and then they quit Pat, they quit. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them, as I've gone back and now kind of reconnected those as, as I came out of the darkness and the self-isolation, I realized a lot of it is they just didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't know what was going on and they just kind of felt like they were maybe going to be in the way right. or, or it was just a hesitance because they purely didn't know. And we're really bad at that. I think that's something that the American church in general could get better at is just standing with people, mm-hmm. just being in their life and letting that experience just be there. So what did that look like for you? So uh, I, I found that not ever feeling like my struggle was ugly. People, you know, I talked about Rod and I've talked about Josh and, and uh, Dean and Amy and how those people – it didn't matter to them that I wasn't a husband and a father, that I just was a father. It didn't matter to them that I wasn't the guy leading the worship in the church. It didn't matter. Right. I was still just a child of God to them. I was their friend and I still had value. And so as, as the listener or, or people in general, if I was to say, how do you be those people to others that people were for me? Just show up, listen. Don't have every conversation be about the hurt. Right. But also, if they're talking about it, 
let it happen. Yeah. Um, and just listen. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to solve anything. Mm-mm. You don't have to give that person advice. Yeah. Some of the greatest moments in the, in the return to faith for me, the real strong return, were moments in a, in a buddy's garage, sitting around, passing a guitar around late at night. Mm. Um, and, and my buddy Curtis just being willing to laugh directly at me um, when I'd say something stupid. And not take the stupid thing I was saying as, yeah, okay, that's normal. No, like, no, this isn't normal. And you're not going to beat yourself up this way. I'm not going to allow that. Mm. And that group sitting around chairs in a garage led to guys that then played music together. Mm. And that was my like real reintroduction to God can do something with you. And in the, in that. Because he wasn't doing it. With just you. Right. He was doing it in community. Right. It, with you yes. interconnected with other people. When I stopped isolating, and men were really good at this. Oh, yeah. We are good at closing the door and being David going to the cave, right? The cave at Agilam, right? Like David was broken and gone, and he was going into the cave. Um, but what happens is, is that just what happened to David men start coming in the cave and like, Hey, you're important to me. And I had those people that I was still important to. It didn't matter. It didn't change. It didn't change right. their perspective of me. Yep. You okay. That's a thing that happened. Let's move on. Right. You weren't in their lives because of these other roles you played. Right. Because of these other positions you filled, you were in their lives because Drew mm-hmm. was in their lives. Right. And so was that, did they call you? Did they just show up at your house? It was, it was all of the above. Inviting me to things, feeding me. Um, <laughs> it was, there was a time that I'm pretty sure that the, the majority of my actual like real meals were eaten in someone else's house. Yeah. Not, not because of like financial requirement, although going through divorce is pretty terrible on your finances. Right. Um, but it was because they were connecting with me and that's what people knew they could do. Right. Like, hey, we're having a barbecue show up. Right. Get you over can here. sit over there in the corner. We're okay. Well, yeah. you know, you don't have to talk to anybody. Show up. But if you want to talk, we're going to treat you like nothing's different. Right. And I think that's that's a pretty big lesson in general is anybody that's hurting just wants to be treated like they're normal. Yeah. You know, they just want to they just want to be loved. You know, that was one of the things that I really came to understand is that we as humans are at the innermost core we need to be seen. Mm-hmm. We need to be heard. And I've heard this a couple of different ways. We need to be known mm-hmm. intimately. And, and, and I interchange that also with valued. Yeah. We need to know that we matter, that we have value. Yeah. And one of the best ways to do that is call somebody, go knock on their door, mm-hmm. invite them over. And when they say no, invite them again. Yep. Don't give up. Yeah. I know, I know for me, you talk about mm-hmm. food and that thing. Um, I had one guy in particular that called me basically every day and he asked first two questions. Are you eating mm-hmm. and are you sleeping? Yep. Because those are the two things that go away. And when you're in a dark place, if you're malnourished and sleep deprived, your brain does not work right. Correct. And some of the worst decisions I made were when I was not taking care of myself. Right. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think how many guys... I, t- this is my story. You tell me yours. 
I was even prior to the divorce, I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm. I was taking care of everybody around me. Yeah. So now that I can't take care of anybody around me because there's nobody around me, they're all out of the mm-hmm. house, and I'm here, you know, cold, dark, and alone. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to take care of me. Yeah. Did you encounter that? Oh, for sure. What What was that like? So, in in those moments for me, I I had no ability to even think long enough to know how to take care of me, mm-hmm. and so I. I wanted to not take care of me because I didn't have the reason to. Oh, but when because I started to stay there with that for a moment, you just said you didn't want to take care of you mm-hmm. because you didn't have the reason. Right. And that was because in your mind, tell me I'm wrong in your mind. Nobody, no, nobody, you didn't matter to anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. And nobody was dependent on you because apparently your kids would be fine with the ex-wife. With their mom. She'd take care of them. You didn't need to. Yeah, that's that's very true. You probably heard that too. Oh, oh yeah. And I know that, like, I probably heard it more from my own head than I did out of the mouths of anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, yeah, that's very true. And we believe a lot of lies about ourselves, and that's not for no reason. Right. Like, we, we exist, in, I, I've always said this, that we exist in a place where there is forces at work for us. And forces at work against us. Right. And call it what you will, the enemy of our very soul doesn't want us to succeed. Right. It never has. And, and his desires that were destroyed. Correct. And that was what was at work. And that was what was at stake for me there. And so having people pouring into me and people that were just willing to be there. And it's again and again, community has been the answer. Right. Over and over again, not allowing myself to be alone. And not just any community. No. Right? People who were calling you because God put it on their heart right. to call you. Yeah. People making sure that I was trying to feed myself spiritually and physically. Um, I got invited to a men's fraternity group by a friend of mine who's a dear friend of mine who was a new believer at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was a little tough for me. <laughs> like I'm being invited to a community group by a guy who's been a Christian for like 15 minutes. And I've been a Christian my whole life. Right. And he's like, I need you to get to this thing because you need to have what I have. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like, buddy, <laughs> I've got T-shirts that are older than your face. And, right. and yet I now get to do student ministry with this guy. And it's and, fresh and real to him. Yes. And it was fresh and real to him. And it made it again fresh to me mm. because he was so excited. There's a meme of a kid that's like coloring, right? He's like, I love coloring. Right. And that was his faith to him. Right. And if he was in someone's space for 10 minutes, he was telling you about how much Jesus had changed his world. Right. And I found that if if this guy who barely even knows what it means can be that on fire... What am I complaining about? Right. What am I sulking for? I'm not broken. I'm just human. Right. And yeah, I mean, so fast forwarding a little bit. Yeah. The healing continues. And the more I find myself willing to be in the spaces of others who are pouring into my life and caring about me, the more I have capacity to do it the same. For others. And that's 
one of the things that I start to see, and you were one of them, there are about nine guys now since I split very publicly in the church from my wife that have come to me in similar situations and been like, man, how did you get through it? What did you right. do? And it's not public. We've not gone out and, you know, we've not written a book. We're not doing podcasts. This is the first time I've really ever talked about it in the, the public forum. Right. But I've had these men calling me going, how do I stay in my faith when my marriage is over? Hmm. And this, the answer is the same every time. You have to continue to allow yourself to be loved by God mm. because he's not done with you yet. Right. And those, those moments where I get to fast forward and see what God has done with the thing, the things that have been, that have gone on in my life. Right. Um, uh, it's, it continues to build in me that this proof that, that God is real, that he is here. I may not understand him a lot. I don't understand the world we live in right. at all. I don't understand new math. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'm so grateful I didn't have to go to school with new math. Um, but here we are still in a place that's a broken world mm -hmm. with broken people looking for something. And, and you get to stay broken. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be yeah. completely unbroken. You don't have to be yeah. perfect to keep moving forward. Right. In fact, recognizing that you're you're broken, you're a little less broken today than yesterday. Right. Um, and somewhere in this journey, you're going to find places that you're broken that you didn't realize you were. Right. And I and finding things like, um, I found myself knowing rather quickly, actually, after healing began, that I wasn't interested in dating again. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this is a part of my life that obviously I have failed at. Hmm. Um, and so I fought with that for a few years. Yeah. And, and then I find God putting in my life a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves me. Hmm. And that was terrifying. <laughs> um, I didn't, I mean, and you know, it's funny because we, we, we had known each other years before we were both in other relationships, obviously. And, uh, I needed somebody to work. I was, I worked at central community college and I gave the ACT test and I was one person short. Mm. And so I am like scrolling through my phone and she both loves it and hates that I tell this story this way, scrolling through my phone, looking for somebody that won't be busy on a Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I send a text. I'm like, Hey, do you want to, Come do the ACT with me tomorrow. It's 85 bucks. That's what she'd get paid. Right. And she didn't understand it that way. She thought, like, I was going to charge her $85 for this. So I get a text back of, well, I don't have anything going on, but what in the world? And I explained it. She came and helped out. And we talked off and on that day. Uh -huh. And I was, like, intrigued by this person who had a dog. And I have a dog. And she had this comb that was really good at getting tangles out of dog hair. Okay. So, so we make this plan Here's the hook. This just is the as hook. friends. Yep. You know, we barely, we weren't even friends yet. We didn't even know anything. And, and she invites me over and I come to her house and we comb our dogs basically. <laughs> and, and it was so refreshing to just have a woman in my life that didn't have a single bit of pressure. There right. was no romance involved. 
there was nothing. Hmm. And we talked for hours. And we found out that we had both been in similar relationship struggles. Right. She had never been married, but we had been in similar situations and we spoke each other's language. Ah, right there. And months and months into this friendship, we realized we're basically dating because we're spending all of our time together. Right. So now do we really want to date? Like, is that what we want to do here? Hmm. And so we try going on dates. And the first three were absolutely horrendous. First one, I was served raw chicken at a restaurant mm. and, and find out by biting into it. Oh. The second one, we go, we <laughs> go to a ter- – she picked a movie we were going to go to. We go to a terrible movie that's about a guy who gets divorced. Mm. So great way to great way to have a second date right. with with your new interest, right? Right. And the third one, her parents came along to a football game. Mm. <laughs> so we just decided we weren't going to date, but we were very much interested in getting to know each other. Sure. And God has proven again and again and again that where I am weak, He is strong, mm. and where I have needs, He provides. Mm. And I needed a partner. Because I couldn't do life on my own. Was was this the point where... So let me rewind a little bit here. For a lot of guys that are going through divorce, mm-hmm. the best thing they can do is not have relationships with women. Correct. Outside of mothers, daughters, right. sisters, um, for a couple of years. Yeah, because the world will tell you, well, just get back on that horse. Yeah. And and that is the the one thing you need to not do. Right. You need to find a way to find who you are first. Because exactly there. You've got to learn who you are because apart from that relationship. Because because who you are was always there. Correct. But you weren't Drew. Mm-mm. You were husband, father, mm-hmm. you were all these things. Of household, all of those things, right? right? But mm-hmm. but you weren't operating out of who you were. You were operating out of sense of duty. Right. The the need for those things. Uh, fulfilling, you know, roles that I had been taught my whole life were what men were supposed to do. Yeah, that's what being a man is. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Man, even man, man. even in the church, I think we still continue to have a very skewed view, uh, an an American Western culture, masculine decided version of what manhood is and what our right. roles are. And until you really step back from that and go, hold on, who actually am I right. as a child of God? Who am I? Right. As a as a, an American citizen, as a you know, for me, I, I joke that I, I and that's not really a joke, but I have been placed in a position where I don't understand a lot of the injustice in our world mm-hmm. because I was born with all of the privileges, right? I'm I'm a middle class Midwestern white guy, educated. I'm heterosexual. I am uh, all of those things, right? Right. You I, had I, a sibling. I have. I, yeah, you're, I have a sibling. You had the same parents from yep, the time you were born. My parents are still married. Still in the same house. Still in the the house I was brought home from the hospital in. Right. And so I had all those things. I. So what does that mean? If you don't know who you are, you right. can't be just the sum. We're more than the sum of our parts. Right. And so how do I? How do I be a human being now and find me? And so. Yeah, it is, it is dangerous and people will, and there were people who were from the word go trying to get me back into relationships. Yeah. I play in a card group in Grand Island and like 
maybe three weeks after I was out on my own, uh, a, a woman approached me and said, my friend would like to, to go on a date with you. Right. And I went, no, like, I don't even know I, what, like what kind of, what kind, I don't even know what the emotion would be that would make you think, or what kind of bravery would it be that would make you think you should come up to a guy that's that fresh from a multi-year marriage Right. And say, my friend would, I think you should go out to on a date with my friend. And that, that was what actually scared me at the first was like, okay, well, I need to, I need to make sure that I get away from some of this stuff to know who I am first. And I think that was a part of where God, God lets some of those things happen because, because he wants to set that barrier Mm -hmm. and, and he knows that if we set that barrier ourselves, we're more likely to keep it. Oh yeah. If he says don't cross this barrier, I'm, I'm crawling over. Yeah, right, right. And a, a couple things. Um, there's a couple questions here. You know, sure. obviously, uh, I guess maybe to wrap this up. Once we've once a guy who's going through this has years, several years, to really put himself together, unwind everything that's gone through, mm-hmm. and really start. Like I didn't know what I'd like to do anymore. Somebody asked me, so what do you like to do? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Because what I liked to do was whatever my kids wanted to do, whatever Mm -hmm. my wife wanted to do, whatever is a family they wanted to do. That was what I liked to do because it was all about them. Um, So there is that part where you got to take that time and really figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. And then getting some safe relationships with women Mm -hmm. that aren't kind of – there's there's no question that anything's like there's ever going to be any romance, right? And just start to get into that a little bit more of the softer side. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of questions have come up here. Um, sure. One, um, did you cry? Oh, did I cry? Oh, I I first off I come from a long line of men who are capable of showing their emotions, which I am so grateful for. Um, my dad. And his brother and their dad. And they're all really good at showing emotion. Now, my grandfather uh, wasn't very good at first. But as he aged, he became very good at showing emotion and telling us that he loved us and things Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, I'm very grateful for it. Um, Yeah, I cried. I cried so much. Um, There were, like, I still am one where my emotions are tight, you know, right close to me. Um, It if anybody tells you that that men don't cry um, or that you have something wrong with you because you're willing to get in your feelings a little bit, uh, boy, they're wrong. And and if you want to talk about it with me, I'm here, uh, you know, fine, c- come at me. I'll talk about it because some of the most, most processing I've done has been through actually understanding the emotion that I'm feeling mm-hmm. and then, Reacting to it, feeling it, actually feeling that emotion and knowing what it is. Not pushing it away. Not not, not driving pushing it, it away. down. No. And I still, like, there are moments, there have always been moments in, in my faith where, where emotion comes quick, you know. Mm-hmm. I can see a stranger be baptized and I will bawl. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I can, I, I can hear new music again. One of the places where God shows up again and again in my life has always been in music. Hmm. I can hear a new song and I can be just in instant tears and I can hear songs from my past that are the same way. Same way. Um, yeah, man, did I cry? Oh, 
Got really so, good at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same here. Um, I will oftentimes, as I'm talking to a guy, I'll uh, I'll whip out a sheet of paper, and I'll just take, start taking notes. I ask him, um, name all the emotions that you can. Let's mm-hmm. see how many you can name. Mm-hmm. Five or six. Like I had one guy get to eleven. Oh wow. Um, and then I pull out this emotion wheel that lists, you know, uh, several hundred emotions, mm-hmm. and they're like. These are all the emotions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so right now listening to you, and I'll go down this wheel, what I just heard you say is you're feeling this. And he's like, like it's a word maybe he's heard three or four times. And is it sits, sits and kind of simmers and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really what I was feeling, not this other thing. I'm and like, we mistake those things too. Like, you know, I, I always joke with my kids, like, are you actually outraged or do you need a sandwich? Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but – Feeling that feeling and then digging for the thing that's causing it mm-hmm. is so valuable. Oh. It, that's honestly, as a grown adult, that's one of the things that that sitting in talk therapy has done for me. Right. Um, being able to have that person on the other end of that conversation who is removed from my life go, hold on, let's find what the truth is here. Right. What are you actually feeling? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Because I don't know if it is. Right. Let's keep digging. Man, I tell you what. One of the one of the first things that I've learned to, to do, and I'm not good at it, but when I'm angry is ask myself, what am I afraid of? Because the majority of the time, if I'm angry, it's because I'm afraid of something. Yeah. And if I just take that moment and stop, instead of exploding the anger, you know, letting the anger run – you know, letting the beast out, so to mm-hmm. speak. Um, if I go, what am I afraid of? Then oftentimes I'm like, oh, well, that's silly. I'm not I'm really afraid of that. That's, that's right. silly. That's not going to happen. I, I don't need to be afraid of that. Or I can look at, okay, this is what I'm really afraid of. I'm going to address that right. instead of this other thing that I think is making me Instead angry. of not reacting. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, then, and then as a man, mm-hmm. I feel more manly because I'm dealing with the real thing. The root. Not just being the loudmouth who can command mm-hmm. and, and oh, who, yeah. who's the authority, but I'm yeah. really the authority because I'm dealing with it and I'm getting it fixed. Oh, for sure. One of the things that Becky, my wife, has taught me now is to look at two sides. We always look at what's the worst that could happen. Mm. And we dig in on that often. When we're looking at a struggle or a problem or a choice that might be right, it might be wrong, what's the worst that could happen? But my wife flips it on the other side and goes, well, what's the best thing that could happen? Let's spend moments actually investing our emotion and our time and our thought to what good can come from making a tough decision in a right way. Right. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I look at that anymore. It's, that's the adventure. Yeah. And I've just decided I want to live a life filled with adventure. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live the quiet life. You know, me and, me and uh, ba- the Baggins is right. 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 It's amazing what you can find when you start by walking out your door. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the, the next question, we talked about the, yeah. that crying end. Yeah. Have you danced? Oh, yes. I, if anybody's ever seen me play guitar, especially on a Sunday morning in worship, I do not stand still. I am incapable. I'm not a good dancer by any stretch. My wife would say maybe I'm better than I am or than I think I am. But absolutely, I have danced. I have danced in moments of triumph. I have danced in moments of relief. 
I have danced in moments that I was sure that me making a tough decision was going to result in something terrible and it not. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it's funny you mentioned that because Becky loves to dance. And so we have also gone to dance classes together to learn to actually dance for me. Real which, dance. Oh yeah. Real actual dancing. But absolutely. Besides, yeah. besides just the square dance we learned in, right, in, right. in school. <laughs> Middle P, your junior high PE learning yeah, how to yeah. learning how to waltz and and two step right yeah. right well I don't think you could grow up where we grew up and not no, be able to two step that's true so a guy who's going through a crying right now and that's all mm-hmm. he sees to understand that God's going to walk through him and says you will dance mm-hmm. you don't believe it right now mm-hmm. but reach out to me. Call out to me, cry out to me, yell at me, mm-hmm. but let's communicate, and you will dance. Absolutely, because I mean, if we're really gonna, if we're gonna take God at any sort of face value, right? If if there is redemption in our story, if He cares about us at all, which He has been true in my life, so if He cares about us at all. And if we're wondering really who God is, if he is a, if he's not about redemption all the way to satisfied, happy, fulfilled existence in him, it, that's the only, that's the only result, right? Right. We don't know when we're in the valley, how deep it might be. Right. But there is always going to be morning mm-hmm. the next day. The sun is going to rise or Jesus will come home, come get us. Right. 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 That's what, what, <laughs> that's what my grandma Ed always used to say. Uh, either, either we will get to joy or joy will come for us. Right. Mm. Um, mm. Grandma Ed, what an amazing woman. Oh, right. I, when I think of her, two things happen. I hear her voice. She was a, uh, uh, almost operatically trained, like she was, mm-hmm. she was trained, but she wasn't like she didn't sing in operas, right. soprano, like super high soprano. So when I when I think of her, I hear her voice in my head still to this day. And the other thing is, I smell flannel graph <laughs> <laughs> because she taught Sunday school uh, in you the Midwest. Just, you just put that smell right back, and I'm in that little, I'm in that tiny little classroom, yep. right up the steps. Yep. Open the double doors, turn right. Yep. In that little cold in the winter classroom, yep. oh, yeah. watching the flannel graph and yep. and Grandma Edda teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. I mean, and there are a million other things, but those are the first two. Wow! And and so thanks for that present. Yeah. I haven't un I have not unwrapped that memory, yeah. probably in forty years. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because as I have started to lose my grandparents, mm-hmm. um, in fact, I only have one of my grandmas left, and I know how fortunate I am to be forty four, and and have any of that generation alive still. Right. Um, I've had to to unpack a lot of the the faithful history that's been over me mm. you know both of my grandmothers uh in one way or another helped keep the church doors open right in my small town right uh playing piano singing the hymns teaching the sunday school making the food for the potlucks whatever it took you know um and seeing the legacy of my grandfather uh les ashdown who he's the one that taught me that step family was possible 
Right. Because he, my mom's dad passed away before I was born. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother dated with us in her house because she ran a daycare that us grandkids and others were in. Mm -hmm. And I watched Les Ashdown, who is a farmer and a hard worker up from sun up to sundown working on a farm. I watched him give his Sundays, which a day that most farmers in the Midwest still use as a work day. Right. Um, he didn't do any farm work on Sundays. I watched him give that wholly to God and I watched God bless him again and again and again and, and watching his life and watch, seeing my grandma Etta, even though her body was being destroyed by Alzheimer's her mind was being taken from her that you'd go out to the nursing home and sing hymns with her. And every word was at the front of her mind. Right. Uh, so I, I get the, the joy of having some of those, um, the, the deep history of faith in my family. And now it actually means something because when I was 20, it didn't mean anything. Even though I knew that my family was faithful and I knew that God was doing things, it didn't mean anything. So th this is what I've, I've got down here is kind of the, maybe the last question, at least sure. a question I wanted to make sure I brought this together because, and, we, and we've stepped right up to it, but haven't really said it. Talking about where you were growing up, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now like you, you keep, you keep sparking memories in my mind. I have not thought of in a long time. And so I'm, I'm struggling to concentrate, <laughs> but in those early years you prayed mm -hmm. and you pray now. Mm -hmm. And, and now that we've used the word pray, I want to throw it out. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I, I prayed a lot as a, as a kid. I prayed a lot when I was younger. I don't really pray anymore because what I think of as prayer isn't the communication that takes place. Oh, okay. Has 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 your communication with God changed? What totally. was it like when you were young? So was it like oh, our yeah. Father who art in heaven? It, it wasn't blah, blah, quite blah, 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 blah. that far because you know I did grow up in a in a non denominational church and I was taught that your prayers should be your words. But what I found was that my prayers weren't really my words; they were borrowed from somebody else. I liked to grab little pieces that I'd heard from other people. Mm. And and eventually the prayer would kind of sound the same. Uh -huh. It wasn't written down in a book somewhere, right? But it wasn't necessarily mine, right? And kind of form formulaic. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it was acknowledging who God is, thanking Him for what He's done for me, bringing Him the petition that I have. Right? It's the format of the of right. the, the right. Lord's prayer. It just wasn't the right. Lord's prayer. And now I really see that when I'm talking to God, it might be an all-day event. I'm still doing other things, but that conversation with him lasts, and it becomes more than just the here and the right now. I do end my days every day with my knees on the floor next to the bed while my because my wife has narcolepsy. She needs to have, it's a sleep disorder. She needs to have a really scheduled life. Yep. So she goes to bed before me. And one of the great joys of that for me is that I get to come into the room with her as she's ready to go to bed. I hit my knees and I thank God for what he's done for us today. Mm. And that I get to keep my marriage being focused on the fact that God put it there. Right. But of the rest of the life that I have, I'm not like finding myself going, um, these three parts in a prayer, it ends up being, what am I learning here, God? Right. Like, where is this going? You know, I've had some struggles with my oldest son. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see those words in the Bible. Yeah. What, 
what am I learning here? <laughs> Where is this going? I don't see right. that, but that's what that's what it is. But it's what happens, you know. Like I was saying, I'm have, I've had some struggles with my oldest son, and I had no idea what God was doing mm-hmm. or where it could go. I I didn't expect to have the struggle of it being very difficult to parent a young adult. Right. But here I am. Mm. God, what am I learning? Don't let me miss this message. Rather than being like, Lord, here's the thing and here's what I want you to do. It's more just, God, I'm listening. And now I'm not a person who's ever heard the audible voice of God. I've never had that moment in my life. And I'm kind of grateful for it, actually, because then I think I would want it every time. Hmm. But I see him work and I see him in words from other people. Um, I see him in conversations I'm having with the men in my life. There have been countless men in, in this season too, with the struggles with, you know, parenting, um, grownups where it really just becomes suggesting to grownups. Right. right. Um, I have come alongside so many other men and just having God put them in my life and conversations that happen with them and experiences that they have lived speaking into me and me saying, God, where, like, how do I come to that level of peace with the relationships that I have in my life, whether it's with family, friends, whatever, how do I find, it's really more about God, what does life start to look like and how can you continue to be very present with me without the, there's, there's not any, our father to it. It's right. You know, God, I know who you are and what you've done for me. I do not have to be reminded because you are in my life daily. What do I do now? Well, and, and it's, it's conversational. Mm-hmm. It's intimate. It's yeah. straight out of the heart. Mm-hmm. There's no trying to flower it up. There's mm-hmm. no like you've already gotten past the. I, I don't need to get. I don't need to take a shower and put on clean clothes to go to God. Yeah, you know I don't oh, yeah. need my Sunday best. Yeah, because he's come down and you know. I, I want to maybe end on this note. I dawned on me. Um. God made the first man out of dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, when when Jesus healed the blind man, he picked up some dirt, dirt and spit on it, added water, yeah. moisture, and then rubbed it in yeah. his eyes. I think about when when someone needs help. We talk about getting down in the mud with them. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't get down in the mud with us. He became the mud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if he's willing to become mud, I don't have to get clean before I reach out to him. Yeah. Uh, so I've been in student ministry a long time now. It feels like forever. And I've watched generations of kids grow and now they have their own kids. And some of them are my peers because they weren't really that much younger than me in the first place. But one of the things I have said to them over and over again is deciding to get clean before we come to God is like wiping before you poop. Like <laughs> if I could be so crude, <laughs> right, like, right. but it's true. Right. And God isn't above our struggle, mm-hmm. our mess, our dirt. He's through it. Right. And in all of the things where I look back on, I was too broken or I was too dirty or I was whatever. And I'm asking, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? Really, seeing it now, 
I'm seeing the the story that he has run through my life mm. and where he's taken those parts of me that were broken and dirty and all of those things and he's replaced them with him. Mm. He's taken the broken things in your life, the dirty things, mm-hmm. and replaced them with himself. Right. And it's been every time I give him a challenge that I'm like, I you you're not gonna you can't make this happen. He still does. That's amazing. I, I'm upright. I'm not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I'm not hopelessly addicted to pornography. I am not broken anymore. I am still, I'm not broken in the ways I was. Maybe I should right. say it that way. Right. I, I am a forgiven child of grace. And he's not done with the story yet, no matter what it is. No matter what the hurts are ahead of me. Right. He's, he's still pending. As long as I draw breath, he's mm. not done. And and I think that the understanding is that I still have a lot of healing that needs done, and that means healing hurts. Oh yeah. And and healing happens by going through rough and learning to let go. Mm-hmm. And there's things that I've gripped tightly, and it feels like he's breaking my fingers as he's pulling them apart so we can take that stuff mm-hmm. away. And that's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know. We, it's not all mountaintop, but having been through the valleys I've been through, mm-hmm. and and we learn to trust God. Oh yeah, and that's all it's about. He just he wants to be in a relationship with us, mm-hmm. and he just says, "Trust me." Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, Drew, thanks for coming on. <laughs> I, no idea what was happening. This has been amazing. A, yeah, an unexpected trip down memory lane. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. That's a part of my life I haven't given much thought to in a long time. Um, so thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Um, you've been listening to the Who Is God podcast. I am Thaddeus Funk, and thanks for joining me on this journey as we uh, begin to get a bigger perspective and a better understanding of who God really is. You've been listening to the Who is God podcast. Join the discussion on Facebook or Instagram. This podcast has been brought to you by Tacklebox Studios. Tacklebox Studios is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from individuals like you. If you found this meaningful, please let us know. Donations can be mailed to Tacklebox Studios, 285 South 68th Street Place, Suite 320, Lincoln, Nebraska, 68510.